Welcome to Home Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home sellers market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am, as always, your host, Tom Didier, and I have Ted Knightsky as a guest today. Ted has many titles. He has many titles from me, from his family, from his constituents. He is a friend of mine. He is a husband. He is a brother. He is a son. He is a lifelong educator, and within that silo. He's got lots of titles. I think he's been a teacher. He's probably been an intern. He's been, a, I think, a principal and maybe a vice. I think you've been a super. You're now CEO. Well, I'll ask you to explain what the hell that is. But most importantly, Ted is the mayor of the city of Port Washington, which is my great little hometown where I've um, lived my whole life. And he's got some good experience now as it relates to real estate issues to our awesome little town of, it used to be 10,000. We might have 11,000 now, but Ted Nisky, welcome to the podcast and take a couple minutes to introduce yourself to my listeners. All right. Well, thanks, Tom. So as Tom had said, I've uh, lived here in Port Washington my entire life and uh, three years ago decided to run for mayor and was very fortunate to uh, win an election and be elected. And one of the, one of the like upfront very first conversations, even during the election process was like philosophy on development and then those needs. And I, I think the fun part for me, you know, having been a superintendent of schools and understanding the the value and importance of the school system on, you know, the impact for real estate and community attractiveness and then retention and then attraction of talent and all those different pieces. I, I think what solidified for me when I became mayor was visiting with local businesses each month and having the conversations regardless of their size of kind of what they're facing. And Port Washington is in a really nice position where, you know, that we have a lot of people on our dance card who want to come to Port Washington, want to be in Port Washington. We're a safe community. We're a desirable community. We're a fun community. And we've got amazing natural resources. And as a result, there's there's no place for anybody to live. And if you're fortunate enough to have a place that you do live in, you need to move, you can sell your home very quickly, as I think is the trend in a lot of different regions. But I think the number one takeaway, Tom, for me in my role as mayor is the decisions being made by large corporations and companies and local kind of small businesses around whether they can sustain their business in our community because of the workforce. So, you know, I was in a great meeting a couple of weeks ago with a, with a group of HR directors from our industrial park. And one of the things they said was, you know, Port Washington's got a great advantage. 25 minutes is kind of the average commute of a person. That's about as far as they'll drive for a you know, a fifty-four to seventy-five thousand dollar a year hourly paid job. So we draw from the north in Sheboygan and Oostburg and Cedar Grove and Plymouth and to the west and West Bend and Jackson and a little bit over in Hartford and then to the south and the Milwaukee and the suburbs. But at the end of the day, those people eventually want to live where they work and it becomes harder and harder, which is why, you know, I'm kind of excited and you know, we've done some unique things in the city to create an infrastructure of support so that we've got everybody on the same page. And, you know, that's, we just put out some RFPs to try to increase our housing stock by developing some city-owned land. And then we're also going to invest in our infrastructure 
which is the responsibility of the of the city government to create the conditions so that people can, you know, kind of grow as needed and then more importantly meet the needs of their city. So we've got a need for a lot of things in Port Washington, but number one is to be able to sustain you know, our historic downtown by having people who live here who can afford to shop there and go there, but then also people who live here who can work here. And it's a weird balancing act. That's a lot of fun. So you were uh, alderman. How old were you when you were alderman? You were a child. Do they let? Uh, what was your age when you were alderman? I think. I think now that I'm 52, I would have called myself a child. But when I was 22, I thought you I was were pretty 22. Darn smart. So obviously, you, you would uh, agree that you know a lot more now than you did then, and you obviously understand and you see the challenges in developing and um, keeping a town. But you talked about downtown. Now, obviously, the the way human beings shop is completely different than what it was when you were 22 years old you've heard of Amazon, right? You have an Amazon account. Like you can buy things. Yeah. 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 Pretty crazy. Of, of course I've heard of it. Completely changed the way human beings are living. That's certainly one of the challenges you brought up workforce housing. Let's talk about, about the housing crisis. Cause I think you would agree. I don't know anybody that would disagree with me that we being poor Washington, Southeast Wisconsin, Wisconsin in general has a housing crisis. We have a shortage of housing. We, we need more, apartments. We need more duplexes. We need more first-time homes. We need more second-time homes. We need more retirement homes. We There's basically a shortage of housing. I think you would agree. Yes? Yeah. How do we fix that? Well, I think the thing that I've learned is the importance of being strategic as a city and being bold in that strategy. I find that, you know, every time, every time we lay out a vision, the very first thing people talk about is money. And... Money is important to talk about, but there's cheap and there's frugal, right? And and frugal is making good infrastructural decisions that last. You know, you don't you don't buy the three dollar Phillips head screwdriver out of the bin at the hardware store because it's three bucks and then be upset every two weeks that you gotta go buy a new one. You buy a good screwdriver, right? And I think many communities and historically even our own have made cheap decisions, quick decisions have not had the courage to say like, it's going to cost money and we have to do it. And what I'm seeing across the state of Wisconsin, especially is that people are okay with justified infrastructural improvements. And people are really good with justified infrastructural improvements that support their community sustainability. And that when they're proactive. So, you know, a step we took, we're the only city in the state of Wisconsin, we might be the only one in the country we just passed an ordinance where we placed the school district superintendent on our planning commission as a ordinance. So it's not an appointment. And the state, our superintendent of schools is a non-voting advisory member of the planning commission. And the reason is Port Washington has the opportunity here. You know, if everything were, if everything were to fall in place to have, you know, a, 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 potential of 1,200 to 2,000 new homes built in the next decade. Well, that has consequences well beyond just the city. That has consequences for the schools. It has consequences in the city for infrastructure, for water, for sewer, for police, for fire, for roads, for traffic, for insurance levels, all of those different pieces. And I think what happens too often in communities is that development sneaks up on them. They're in a reactive position And then they have to be cheap because they don't have the funds or the strategy to ensure that they've done it. And then as a result, every couple of months or years, they're they're going back and having to fix things and then they get stuck. And we're trying to break that cycle. 
So, I mean, I think we've taken some pretty good moves in the in the city of Port Washington to ensure that we're aligned. You know, the other thing where we're different is, you know, we called together the the school board, the village of Sockville and Port Washington, you know, the, the communities in the school district who are where we are linked by not just roads, but family. And we now meet twice a year as three separate governing bodies to talk about where we're going, what we're doing, because even neighboring communities, you know, they have impact on what goes on, especially when it comes to safety and security of your community. Would it be fair to say that the idea of putting the superintendent on the plan commission was your idea? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I was a superintendent of schools and in a much larger community, and I would learn about development in the newspaper too late. So they, so I would read in the paper, a 400 unit apartment building is being built in a certain area. And you can just do the math. You put in a 400 unit apartment building that is a three, there are three bedroom apartments. That means that's going to be workforce housing, entry level housing. Those are going to have some children in there and we're going to overwhelm a school. And from that point on in, in West Bend, where I was superintendent of schools, then I started to meet twice a year with the council to make sure they knew what we were doing and then hear what they were doing. And then when I became mayor, I was like, we're, we're going to actually make this a process to ensure that we can't oversee, we can't overlook this important collaboration. So back then you were super, did you just like read about in the paper and then put your hand up and be like, excuse me, did anybody want to get my opinion on this? I, I would read in the paper and I'd call the mayor and I'd be like, hey, what the heck? Do you Did you guys think about what this is going to do to that school over there? Because then we have to go to a referendum. And if the referendum fails, it impacts the entire community. Then realtors start to talk about like, you know, the schools are, you know, they have high, they have large class sizes, they're overrun, they can't afford busing. Well, if the community is in step strategically, it grows, it grows at a pace that the community can can absorb and can really proactively avoid a lot of the crises. Well, that's a great real life scenario that you hopefully implemented some good change. So I'll watch that with curiosity. So here's a question for you. What do you say to the local citizen that loves our town that just does not want change at all? They don't want any new housing. They don't want any, they don't want it. They love it here. And they just, they like, they want the marina to stay the same, the parks to stay the same, the business to stay, they don't like change. What do you say to them? I usually ask them what they're afraid of. You know, change is about, it's about preserving your status quo or it's about preserving, you know, what you have or what you've, what you've had. And never in the course of human nature have we been able to preserve from one generation to another what they had. And if anything, now that I'm a little older and a little more romantic about things, there is a really weird balance there. Like I don't want our downtown to change fundamentally at all, but I also know that if we don't evolve, it it will not make it into the next generation. It will not, it will go back to what it was when you and I were in high school and a store would open. And then like two weeks later, a month later, it would close, you know, and now we're in a position where our community is a destination so these our, our local businesses can drive in the revenues over the course of a seven-month period of time to sustain over 12. But if we don't change and we don't continue to grow along with the trends and what's happening, it's going to be tough. And I, I find a lot of the time it's about preserving what they have and then just finding out what they're afraid of. And then frankly, just saying, I, you know, that's a great point. Let's go with it. Or I'm sorry, I, I just... I, I don't see it the same way. 
and shying away from conflict, that's what gets a lot of communities trapped because somebody did have a vision and a will. But then at the same time, Tom, for instance, like I won't sign a developer's agreement that does not have an out for the city if the developer doesn't follow through within a set time period. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. Yeah, we've got some, we've got some sitting out there that right happened in 2004, 5, 6, and now well, you've got some issues. Yeah. And everything changed around it. Right. So that's, that's, what's hard, you know, because if, if there's a, if there, if there's a landowner and the world around them is moving, that means the world around them is changing. And then if suddenly they, they show up and they're like, well, and in 2019, the city said we could build a 14 story building right there. And it's like, well, everything around here rezoned, you didn't act on it. And then the city can't do a thing about it. So that's where, you know, like we take input. We had a really good example last night. We rezoned some ag land on the south side of town to R3 residential, which are, you know, half acre, quarter acre lots. So it's dense. The neighbors were some kind of veteran members of our community. And they were very upset that I don't want to spend the rest of my life watching that construction. I've lived out here in peace forever. And now it's going to change. And hey, I had high empathy for them. I mean, I, I get it. If I was 77, 80 years old, and all of a sudden the field behind my house got ripped up and houses started. I, I, I get it. It reminds me of that movie Up. Do you remember watching that with the kids, the Pixar yeah, movie? Where he's, got the, the little, he's got the house left over in the middle. Yeah, they develop around And then he put balloons on it and he found himself in like Brazil or something. I, I understand that. So it's a hard balance. But at the end of the day, people don't elect mayors and council members to constantly be polling and changing their decisions. They elect us to make sure that we are good advocates for them, that we are measuring what stakeholders want and that we're hearing them. But then ultimately with all the knowledge we have, making a decision that's in our hearts best for the future. So you talk about generations and generational. I know you're a big World War II, you're a historian. So I don't know if you and I talked about this, but in discussions about the cost of new construction, realtors and consumers, everybody likes to talk about, right? New homes and... The people that are really critical of it will say they're too expensive and they're not built as well as they used to be. I don't necessarily share that opinion. It's they're more modern techniques. They're engineered like really, really well now. Anyways, point being is that I think it was the founder of the Newman Company said, there's really not a problem with the cost of construction. You look at a house, it's 400, 500,000 bucks. That's not the problem. The problem is this generation builds homes that are bigger than they need. And then he points to like after World War II, that generation of guys and women came home and built brand new homes for their families and their families were four to six kids. And the average size was 1100 square feet and one to one and a half baths if they were lucky and they raised huge families. And now it's doubled and tripled. So it's really not 
the cost of construction. It's what we demand. And I don't have an answer. It's just kind of an interesting thing to talk about that this generation is a little bit more materialistic with their sizes. Yeah. And I don't know that that, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know that we're more materialistic. We've just evolved into, you know, everybody should have their own room. And at the same time, people are having less kids and building bigger homes. I mean, I remember when we were younger driving out to some subdivisions as our friends were getting established and building homes in Sussex and Menominee Falls and Cedarburg and places like that and nice communities. And, uh, seeing all of them built their own playgrounds. So like, you know, when we built, when, when the city put out the RFP for this new development, we put in there that it has to have a park developed and designed by them. But then everybody builds their own playground. So to your point, Tom, you're dropping four or $5,000 on a play set that's used for a year and there's a park a block away. So I agree. I think the value has changed to like, well, we'll just provide all of these things for everybody all the time. I mean, we go, you and I step into kitchens of our friends' homes and when they build them, and it is literally the size of the downstairs of the home I, I lived in. So I, that's a real, I never thought of it that way because when you build a 4,500 square foot house, you're literally using the infrastructure of a 1951, 1200 square foot ranch, you know, three times, almost four times over. The other thing I always point out when I'm comparing <clears throat> when I'm comparing generations is storage and the you know storage didn't exist after World War II. The fact was if you didn't have room in your 1100 square foot home for it, you didn't buy it. Now people just get a storage shed for 10 it's a 10 by 25 storage shed it only costs you 100 bucks a month and let's just buy new toys. And that didn't exist in the 1950s or early 1960s and now People are willing to spend a little more and just buy things. So uh, push back on your argument that we're not more materialistic. I think we're, I think this generation is pretty materialistic. I mean, I, I hear you. I, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but just not being, I don't, I'm not that, I don't think that way. Like I don't, I see it, but I don't, I always wonder, I don't know. It's kind of a weird conversation. Like I don't have four wheelers and a cottage and a pontoon boat. And, you know, we, our value is we travel. So we move our money in different ways, right? If I had to buy a storage shed, my wife and I would have a really strong conversation of how many sweaters do you need from Gap and how many records do I need because this has got to end someplace. True story. Don't you do your podcasts in Megan's sweater closet? Really good really good acoustics. I, I, in our yeah. <laughs> closet where I have one foot in of Megan's hanger closet. space, yes. I was going to ask you to talk to me about a couple of victories and or losses that you might have experienced since being a mayor. I mean, that's how we learn from our losses. It's interesting. You pointed out somebody else's loss. I don't think you're going to take credit for it. And that is the improper planning of 2004 through 2006. But what's your favorite victory? What are you most proud of as mayor? It's been, what, two years, four years? I'm bad with three. three. It's been three years. What are you most proud of that you've gotten done? And what, if you're willing to admit to, you know, something you would have done differently, is there anything out there that you will do differently the next time around? Yeah. So I, well, I'll start with, I mean, some of my lessons have been just phenomenal and that's that I'll start with one very interesting lesson. Most people think my, I'm a full-time mayor. So they'll call the mayor's office and like get very upset that they call at nine in the morning and I don't get back to them that day. And it's because I, I mean, I literally have to go into the office to get the slip of paper that says you got a phone call. So that education piece has been very, very interesting because it's a, I don't know, I think I get a few thousand dollars a year for it. 
I probably put in 25, 20, 25 hours a week outside of the, our, our scheduled meetings. And I think that that my, my, my greatest lesson is that I don't know how to say this. I'm just going to say it. How many people think I have much more power than I actually have? And power is the word. Like you need to stop this mayor Nightski. I literally can only veto things and I can control agendas for the discussions. But this idea that like I can go into a room and say this ends now, that's that's not going to happen. And that's something I come up upon all the time. Well, you're that's not true. You can, you can. I mean, I can use influence to move things around. But if a developer owns property and they want to develop within the zoning code and they develop within the zoning code and they have approval through the process on an agreement that was made, I can't just say no. I'm not a full-time mayor. I don't have ordinance power and statute doesn't support that. So that's been a very interesting piece for me. The other interesting piece for me on that is that a lot of people will then demand that the, that I do have that power. And then that makes me nervous because I'm not going to be mayor the rest of my life. So I don't, I you know, I government in the local level is beautiful that way because things go slowly. I, might, I think if I were to tag like things I'm very proud of, I think it's the relationships we have um, built and fostered by bringing different groups of people together, especially around our strategic plan that we identified that we wanted to be a premier community on the Great Lakes, that we didn't just say like, we want to be the best in a region, um, that we laid it out there, that we have core values that we drive uh, our decision-making by. I really appreciate kind of the professional turn we've taken as a council and our boards, commissions, and committees. I let out some training there. And again, this is kind of nerdy, like below the line stuff, but we said like, this is what you do on these committees. You don't abuse your power. You don't you know, you follow the rules, you listen to staff, you you push back on staff, you ask good questions, and then we professionalize that. And I think the hardest lesson I learned was when I, I, I think I was a mayor for like two or three months and the amount of people, and I should have known this because I, I support executive training all the time and mentoring. The amount of people who came to me at first to kind of like paint my perspective, and it took me months to kind of unpaint those narratives that were told to me about people's ill intents or, you know, you know, this is going on. And I've, I've just tried to, I've just tried to kind of stay above this silent influence group in the community by being available for everybody and pushing back on some of those weird narratives. But I mean, honestly, I mean, I, it is such a, it is such a privilege to be the mayor of Port Washington. I can't tell you, Tom, like, you know, when I'm in the, when I'm in the holiday parade, driving the truck down and people are well, Hey mayor, Hey, and I feel like I'm in a Hallmark movie, you know, and then I get to go light the Christmas tree with your niece who created the best Christmas card. And then that becomes my Christmas card for the community. I mean, we have really, really good problems in the city of Port Washington. And at the end of the day, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, we're safe, we have, we have super high ownership with our city staff. And I just, you couldn't ask for that as a, as an employer where, you know, the men and women who work for us are just, they're highly concerned about our well-being. They're highly concerned about our infrastructure. They work hard. And I mean, it's just, it's awesome. All of these things you hear about cities and, you know, oh, they waste money and they do this. Like I've yet to find abuse and waste because we are so frugally cheap in some ways that, you know, we're very blessed to do what we do with the taxes. I feel like a politician when I'm answering that question, 
and I apologize for that. But at the end of the day, I think I'm most proud of the fact that our council asks hard questions, that we demand excellence, and that we work together on those different pieces. And we don't always agree, but at the end, a great product comes out for the city and our citizens. And like I said, I, I think some of the different ways that I misinterpreted some things early on just made me wiser. Yeah, lessons learned. Well, we breezed over in the beginning what your non-political job. So tell the listeners what you know, what you, your CEO, tell them what you are the CEO of and what your real job entails. Yeah. So my day-to-day work is I, I actually work for what's called the CISA education, uh, cooperative education service agency in Port CISA six, actually. So we're in the middle of the state of Wisconsin. We oversee and support 39 public school districts and work with private parochial schools as well. It's not easy to explain, but at the end of the day, Anything a school district would possibly need, we provide in bulk or as an efficiency for them. So everything from we have a website company to strategic planning to teacher licensure, literally everything. So, and I'm missing a bunch of stuff, but we we do that. So I'm very fortunate. We have a few hundred employees and we've created some really neat conditions here with our leadership team. And, you know, I, I'm very blessed that I get to work at an award-winning agency. Yeah, I find that CISA you either know what it is or you don't at all. There's really no in between. And obviously people with an education background, obviously all know, but some people I've explained or try to explain what you do and they just, I don't know what that is. I don't understand. It's tough. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you understand co-ops like farm co-ops or, or like, you know, even some, some of people who are like in little vegetable co-ops and stuff, it's all the resources you kind of get pooled together. And then what you can't afford and you can't do it, you know, we provide for you as, as a member of the co-op and, then we keep moving. So, you know, professional development for everything from literacy to social studies to classroom management to, you know, adult behaviors. So uh, a big portion of my listening audience are fellow practitioners, fellow realtors, sales agents. What can we do as realtors in this industry to help your city and other awesome cities that surround us grow? I think a very highly effective thing is, and you told me this years ago, Realtors all show up for free food and drinks. Yeah. Right. So I would ask that your local, you know, either your county or your citywide kind of realtor group pull in the mayor and the school superintendent and actually have a discussion with them of like, here's what we're hearing about your city. Here's what we're hearing about your schools. Now we proactively do that. I already proactively do that. I did it in both my roles and it was such a treasure trove of feedback about like, and, and so much misinformation that it provided us a better opportunity to communicate and then provide tools to realtors to help sell our city. I think that's like the number one thing that realtors need to recognize and understand is that you have significant influence over our strategies and our outcomes. And a lot of times you get invited to things and, and nobody comes or if they do come, they're, they're a part-time realtor who's also a small business owner, and they'll come for different reasons. But at the end of the day, uh, never underestimate your influence because you just have so much knowledge. Because people who are coming to our community are comparing us against other places, and they're making comparisons that we might not even be aware of. And there's so many easy things to fix, like, hey, you know, the south side entry into town, there's lots of weeds. So when clients come up from the Milwaukee, the you know, first thing they think of is like the place is disheveled. That's an easy phone call to me to make, for me to make to the park guy. Get out there with a mower tomorrow and then send a picture to the realtor. Thanks for the feedback. Here we go. Or the schools, all of those different pieces. And I 
I know that you guys do a lot of work with the legislative ends of it at the state level, but I, I think at the local level as stakeholders, you have a real strong influence on our ability to understand our own communities because I hang out with who I hang out with and I talk to a lot of people, but I, they don't talk to me about, you know, they always come to me with one thing, but hey, Ted, you know, we saw the water rates went up pretty significantly here, just so you know. Your water is still cheaper than everybody else around us. So as people are buying homes, they're not they're not frustrated. We're not hearing anything about that. But we do hear a lot about Norport Avenue or Norport Drive and the potholes and the okay, let me bring that to let me bring that to the team for an infrastructure review and find out when that is. Because if you couldn't sell a house because of the road, that's our fault. Those that's great advice. And we used to back in another day and time, we used to have roundtable discussions in the early 2000s with supers from each school district to actually educate the realtors. And I, I got to follow up and see if that is still a practice. The problem is, which you probably won't be surprised to know, is that there's a lot of movement among associations, acquiring other associations and merging and sharing of services and things like that. So we've lost some of the uniqueness of at one time we were a nice, small, tight group and now we're part of a bigger group, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm I, I'm for it, but it does create some challenges as far as communication. Well, and and that's, I mean, that's what the issue is, is it's leadership. So, I mean, if you guys were to approach me, say, I'd be like, yeah, let's, let's pull everybody together. We'll, you know, one of you guys sponsor lunch and, or apps or whatever. And I mean, that round table and that feedback is really powerful, really powerful, especially like, as we're going to things like, you know, if we, if the city goes to a potential safety referendum, and you're trying to sell a house and somebody says, you know, my property taxes are going to go up $600 a month for a, for something I don't even need because I'm young. Well, you know, we didn't hear that from anywhere else because all the seniors in, in town and our seasoned citizens want more safety. So, I mean, that's the powerful feedback loop. Are you familiar with the term NIMBY, N-I-M-B-Y? Yes. Not in my backyard. I'm sure this is something you struggle with. It's something I struggle with, and it's going to sound like I'm just bitching and complaining. And I have to be careful because I, it'll seem very self-serving for me to be in support of any development. When reality is, you know, I'm a country bumpkin. I grew up in the country. I'm, I like land. I'm all for preservation. I love the large parcels around here that we've preserved and things like that. But the frustrating part for me, both as a realtor and as a citizen in our area, is that I've seen you guys, you guys being any municipality, propose apartments and the NIMBY show up and say, not in my backyard, you're bringing in low income, you're going to drive our values down. Then you switch and you propose really nice houses or condos and they say, this is terrible. You're catering to rich people. We don't need it. And what I'm noticing is the same people that are complaining against both. And then the people complain that there's no workforce housing. You know, we need the people that are going to work in our restaurants and our shops, they need somewhere to live and they have nowhere to live. So it's just a very interesting time. And I don't have the answer, maybe you do, on on how you control that. But what do you do to work with the NIMBYs that just don't want it? Stick to the plan. I mean, this is where, you know, you can't, a lot of the times in the public sector, you cannot get improvement because people won't stick to the plan. Uh, the board or, or the council, and I'm not saying ours, but, you know, when they get pushback, they, they lack resilience um, or, or they'll lack, you know, kind of the tenacity needed to like say like, no, this is what we need. And uh, I like the NIMBY thing. I, I think that's where that's where electeds get nervous about popularity versus what is right. 
and then constantly changing the targets. And, and you know, what? that's why I'm proud of our strategic plan because we say in there, we need this type of development. And, you know, Port Washington needs a very specific type of development. There's a feel that our community wants to keep. And that's why, again, I asked you, like, when, when people call me up and they're like, we don't think you should put uh, side-by-side townhouses over here. This isn't fair. I've lived here my whole life. I don't want kids running around my name. I'm listening to what are you afraid of? And then what can I actually do to help with that, if anything, right? You know, if you put up an apartment complex, you're really supporting someone's future and as well as second chances. I mean, Tom, I, we, we, during the, during the recession in the eighties, you know, my parents, we had to move out of our house. We moved into an apartment building and that's where I learned a lot of empathy about people who lived in townhouses because everybody who lived there had one of those two things I just said. They were either looking for, you know, they're getting their start or they're looking for a fresh start. And and you can't, there's no community where you can only be, you know, like every one thing. And you, why would you want that? You've heard me say, I've been arguing for, I think Port Washington needs a lot more affordable rentals, more than anything, I think, personally. Well, you, you, and you and your friends own them. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you propose workforce housing and you're just, it's, you're met with a lot of, a lot of stiff opposition. It's tough to get that passed right now. I, I think it's the last kind of hurdle of ignorance is to get past this idea that like everybody in the workforce is going to be a problem. When we were younger in the seventies and eighties, Port Washington was a industrial agricultural town. And it is just as safe now as it was then. And when you and I, I mean, you and I both went to, um, you went to St. Peter's North side. I went to St. Mary's, you know, central side of Port Washington. That was a blue collar school. I mean, you're a farm kid, realtor kid. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, it's, that's why I always want to ask the question, what are you afraid of? And then, and then when they tell me, then where's your evidence for something like that? All right. Switching subjects. Do you have an opinion on Airbnbs? VRBOs, the impact they're having, positive, negative. Have you stayed in them? How does it relate to your own own small town? Well, I'd be a real hypocrite if I had a problem with them because I use them all of the time. Okay. And in the city of Port Washington, you know, just as long as they are contributing their parts to everything, I don't have an issue with it. I mean, we have become a destination community for tourism and single night stays, and we have to embrace that. Yeah, Communities that don't embrace that, you're you're closing the door to revenues. I mean, every Airbnb, every Airbnb, if they sell out, let's say eighty percent of their year, right, or let's just say they sell out forty of the fifty-two weekends a year, those are people who are coming to our community and helping sustain it. They're not costing us anything; they are contributing. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by the evolution of it. And like you, I'm a big user of it, big believer of it. It creates tons of opportunities for more and more people to discover our area. It's interesting though. It's, it's continuing to evolve and there's challenges with it. Obviously the hotels have their, you know, their viewpoint of it and in towns like Door County. And of course the realtors watch this stuff very carefully because we're for, we're for property owners rights. So we, you know, wrote a bill a long time ago called right to rent, which kind of says that municipalities, they can regulate them. They can't prohibit them. And we want regulation is good, but in Door County right now, what they're saying is that the Airbnbs are so popular and they're so expensive that guess what? They don't have housing for any workforce. So the restaurants can't hire anybody because 
the people that work in the restaurants have nowhere to live because people are coming up to Door County, which is an awesome part of the state, and they're paying a lot of money to live anywhere for the week or weekend. So it's interesting. I don't have. I don't think there is an answer. We're just kind of like, okay, well, let's take that into consideration and figure out what do we do about that. Do you further regulate it and cap it, or what do you do? What we do is we have to get out of uh, what we know. I mean, Door County only has so much land to build on, right? But but we got to get out of what we know. We have to go to other places who have been, you know, decades long, generational long tourist destinations. We got to go to places like Colorado and, and Florida. What do they do? I mean, if that's if the coastline of Western Lake Michigan, which is so weird to say out loud because none of us ever think of it that way, but if the coastline of Western Lake Michigan becomes a you know multiple single night stops all the way up from Chicago, the communities are going to have to respond by developing or doing something, and or the employers, and or the chambers of commerce. You know, if you go out to places like Breckenridge, they built workforce only housing. Like you can only live here if you work at Breck and make under this much money. Because even there, people like us tried to, you know, let's go rent one of those places for, we'll rent the place for the whole year for what they, no, it's, you have to evolve with your, your surroundings or else you can't, you can't do it anymore. There will be nobody to pick the cherries in Door County if they don't figure it out. And frankly, I think it used to be figured out because all of those places used to have bunkhouses. That's when you drive up to Door County, you see them. Well, nobody's going to live in an unheated bunkhouse anymore to pick cherries or to work at the ice cream place. You got to you got to evolve to what is now modern times. Yeah, and our our coastline here does, in my opinion, get more and more discovered every year. Well, because it's evolving. That's the cool thing for Port Washington. Why we're so unique is that we are the first. You think you know? I don't know. Many people will think for fires. But had the chair factory fire never happened, Tom, mm-hmm. yeah. our downtown would look like all the other downtowns. It would be all industrial. Yeah. And re- we would probably be fighting now about those being turned into like high-end condos and apartments. And how unfair is that, right? But ours burned down. So we literally got like a prairie fire fresh start for our downtown. And we put in all commercial down there. They didn't, you know, when when one family that, that ran the bank bought up all the property and then left it open. That allowed us to have a marina and a harbor. You see that evolution in Sheboygan to the north now, like all the stuff coming off. I don't know. This gets me excited because I just, this is where we have a huge advantage in our community and why realtors need to participate in strategic planning because people don't have the vision. We, when we approved our new downtown plan, Tom, for Port Washington, I asked, why did we reimagine every space but the power plant? Well, that's never going to go anywhere. Never. Are you kidding? How do we know it's going to be? They've closed power plants up and down the lakeshore. If that went away, imagine what we could do over there. It seems so impossible that it, it probably doesn't enter somebody's mind here. Really? Did you ever think the coal pile would go away? I didn't. I mean, and I it, can you imagine how amazing it would be if it if the whole place would go away? It'd be amazing. But yeah, you're right. I didn't. We just grew up with the coal plant, so you were just used to black soot on all the boats. And again, I don't have a problem with the our, the power plant, but that power plant doesn't actually support our city. That power is sold out of state, and they don't even employ a lot of people there. 
I'm wondering if you just educated some people there with that little bit of information. What percentage of citizens in Port Washington knew that that power plant doesn't generate power for us? It goes out on the grid and it gets bought and then it gets routed our way. And so that's a cool thing, right? Here's a victory that I really, that I'm, I'm proud of for our community. Going around touring all of the different businesses, one of the first places I went to was Allen Edmonds, right? A historic kind of Ozaki County company, you know, the best shoes in the world, manufactured by craftsmen here in Port Washington. I call them up. Well, no mayor had been there since like George Bush had visited the place in 1992 or something. And the operations guy starts walking me through. And at the end of the conversation, myself and the city administrator, I always ask the same questions. What can the city do to support your future in the business? What can the city do to help your employees? What can the city do to kind of make doing business here easier or better? And he said, energy. My power goes out like four or five times a year. And every time it costs me like $65,000, $70,000 because I got to send everybody home. Or I've got to keep them on the clock to sit here because we don't know when the power is going to come out. I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. So then I call We Energies and we get a meeting with We Energies and we find out that all of these ash trees are the reason that the power keeps going out because they're falling onto the power lines. Then I learned, and I didn't know this, that every community has a energy assigned liaison that you can contact to be your advocate with the energy company. So we hooked them up. We Energies was like, ooh, we didn't realize that. I went to another company on another side of town. They said the exact same thing. Another manufacturing company, big one. Go to another one. Same thing. Yep. Four or five times a year, I got to shut this whole plant down. And all I'm thinking is in their consideration for the future, what's the very first thing they're going to think of about our community? Inconsistent power. Well, what would we do if the four largest employers left for something we can't control? Only to find out we actually could control part of it because... The trees were falling down along the city bike path on private and public property. And we sat down and worked it out with them. And then We Energies drove the landlines. They, they put redundant power lines underground. They changed up some things on the south side of town. They aggressively ripped out trees. We went to property owners. Knock on wood, We Ener- Allen Emmons hasn't had a power outage in a year. So, I mean, it's all about, I mean, that's how that's how it's supposed to be. So... Um, can you put a smiley face on the, I'm looking literally at the, or a sun or a cloud or something pretty power plant as we speak here. And it's, it's pretty ugly. It's a big giant wall. Can we put a smiley face on the side that faces downtown? Well, you know, Tom, with our paint on port initiative, where we used our federal funds to beautify our community. Look at the size of that canvas. Maybe that whole side could be painted like, uh, like it's not even there. So it just looks like it blends in. I'm making a note. All right, Mayor Knightsky, that was some good stuff. We covered uh, a lot of good topics. That was fun talking. All right. I got to get back into my state meeting. All right. I appreciate you checking in. My closing sign-off is always use a local lender. It will make everybody's lives much easier. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, everyone. Thanks, Mayor Ted. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate. 
in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.